What is up, ladies and gentlemen? This is Tyler with Tarver Academy. I'm so glad you're here on the Education Academy. Yeah, I got too many academies, I know. Podcast. And I have got something special for you guys. I actually did an interview with Brad Scheffler. He is an instructional tech coach, and he has a podcast called The Planning Period Podcast. And so I wanted you guys to be able to hear that. Um, you know, usually whenever I bring guests on, it's a chance for me to hear a lot of what they have you know i'll try to chat a little bit about stuff but it's really just trying to get as much knowledge out of their brain as possible and i thought this was a nice shift uh, brad gives some really good thoughts but it's a whole lot of me talking so if you're looking for someone else's words maybe check out one of the other podcasts but i thought this was a fun interview and i wanted to share with you guys and brad said that was cool and so he is allowing me the copyright releases thank you guys so much if you could subscribe to this podcast and give us some stars that'd be sick and um, just always be learning out there, guys. So here it is, the Planning Period Podcast I did with Brad Scheffler. See you guys later. Hello, and welcome to episode 84 of the Planning Period Podcast. You're at Break Room. I'm your host, Brad Scheffler. This week on the show, I'm joined by Tyler Tarver, Dean of NLC College in Arkansas, YouTuber, podcaster, writer, just all-around content creator. I recently sent out a tweet and asked for podcast guests, and some awesome members of my PLN retweeted and tagged others, and a bunch of people replied. So Tyler is the first in a series of podcasting blind dates, where people replied, and I really did very little research into them, and decided to sit down and have a talk. Tyler and I talk about how he became a dean of a college, how he got into sharing content online, the damage that uniformity can cause in education, the need for differentiation and how we can balance that with our lives, the power of online learning, the disconnect between K-12 schools and colleges, why all teachers should record what they do and share it, how administrators can encourage teachers to be open, and the power of empathy. So sit back and enjoy episode 84 of the Planning Period Podcast, my interview with Tyler Tarver. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Planning Period Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brad Schreffler. And last week, I sent out a tweet and I said, I'm looking for guests for the podcast. I would love to talk to some people. And in the mysteries of Twitter, for somehow different people that I know retweeted it, reshared it, tagged other people. And uh, somehow I was brought to my guest tonight. And as I told him right before we started recording, I have done minimal research. I have looked into this very little and in the true spirit of the planning period podcast of running into someone in the break room on my planning period, I know little more about my guest tonight than his name, but Tyler Tarver, I didn't even ask if I could spell, say your last name correctly, but Tyler Tarver, am I right about that? Oh, you nailed it. hundred percent. Oh. Woohoo, it's almost like I'm a professional. Uh, I'm joined tonight by Tyler Tarver to talk a little bit about education. So Tyler, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it, man. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk a subject I love. Yeah, you're the first uh, podcast blind date I've had. So I'm a little nervous. Uh, This is the first time you just never know if you're going to click with someone on a blind date. And so it's, you know, it's kind of exciting. I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah, me too, man. This is gonna be fun. I love uh, I love improv. I love off the cuff. So it's kind of how I live my life. No preparation, no planning. Perfect. 
Yeah, I'm I'm very much the same. So I think it's going to go great. I'm already excited about the things we have in common. It's wonderful. Um, and I'm just going to keep running with the blind date metaphor probably all night. So, uh, But for my audience who doesn't know you and myself, um, could you give a little introduction to who you are and uh, how you connect to the world of education? Uh, of course. Sure. Uh, I'm real passionate about education. I've been doing that since I got out of college. And I guess you could say while I was in college, I was doing education, but on the other side, and then before that in high school and junior high, all the way back to kindergarten, um, as they'd say in Goodwill Hunting. I, I'm the dean of a, of a college that uh, we have here in central Arkansas. It's called NLC College. What's up? Like, subscribe. I, uh, I also do YouTube stuff on the side, do some podcasting, done some writing. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. I do videography, photography. Do a bunch of rando stuff uh, that I've collected over the years. And I guess the thing right now that I'm just kind of jumping right back into is some of my, uh, some of my YouTube stuff. So, oh, that stuff's called Tarver Academy, by the way. I didn't say that. Um, if you want to find me anywhere, it's Tyler Tarver. But Tarver Academy is the name of my fake online school that I run, where I just help students, <laughs> teachers with whatever it is they need. Okay, so so a lot to unpack in there. Let's start with uh, the dean of a college. What uh, what is what what is that? Um, you know, not that I don't know what it is, but what does that day job entail? Um, just kind of looking after some students, making sure they feel like they are um, finding what they are supposed to do as far as their their calling, what they want to work towards, uh, developing them developing them as leaders and people who serve other people. Um, no matter what they go into, if they use their degree towards their specific job or career or not, we'd love to develop leaders because I think that translates across anything. And so um, we just love developing people and getting them, you know, a degree that can help them get a job. Hmm. And what uh, what is what is your focus or what college, I guess I should say? It's right now, it's called um, NLC College. Uh, we are partnering with a school, a college here in Arkansas. It's uh, we're housed out of a church. Um, but I work for the school and I am, I'm going to, you know, I do the classes, uh, or I say I'm in charge of all the classes, students, teachers, all that at that location. So it's like a branch campus, essentially. Um, we're currently in the transition from one college that we partner with to a new college, um, in that, in that area. And so, um, we're hoping that by fall, we're offering four-year degrees to anybody that wants to, wants to get them. And we've got a five, five different degree plan or majors that they can, uh, they can, they can get through our school. Hmm. So how, how did you end up in that role? That's a, that's an interesting role. I think you're probably the first Dean that I, of a college that I've had on here. So how did that, uh, what is the path that led you there? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, so I was a history and political science major in college. I didn't even like go education. I was just, Oh, I like history classes. I'll just keep taking those. I always joked around and said I wanted to be Indiana Jones. However, Shia LaBeouf got that job temporarily, um, so I didn't get that job. Uh, and then uh, I ended up just teaching high school math um, for five years. Then I got into administration. Uh, I was an instructional facilitator slash director of technology. Then I became a principal of a 6 through 12 school, did a lot of online. There was blended learning, in-person learning, online learning, so I was in charge of a lot of that. Um, that was a lot of fun. And then I moved into the role of a uh, I was, it's a long title. I don't know if I can remember. I hadn't said in a while. Uh, I went to central office and I was a director of curriculum instruction, communication, technology, and personnel. 
which is essentially like a, like an assistant superintendent, but I didn't have like that, you know, title or pay raise. So it was like that. I did that for a couple of years. And then I, uh, was on vacation in New York and, uh, ran into some friends from church and they were like, Hey, we, uh, I work at the school. You should, uh, you should come uh, interview or apply. And I was like, Oh, sure. So I checked it out and I was ready for this new adventure. So I've been doing this for a couple of years. Hmm. And, um, I, I ask this question regularly of my guests in different positions, even though it's a tremendously lame question, but I'm going to stand with it. And do you like what you do? Oh, I love it. I love it, man. It's, it is an amazing environment. Uh, we have an incredible community there. Uh, the students, you know, the traditional, like, you know, I think of the students I was around in college and, you know, who I was in college and, you know, the experience I had there. And I think that what we have is a pretty unique uh, situation where these these students we get are they're very focused on improving themselves and helping the people around them and I just I love being a part of that and I love the people that I get to work with every single one of them is um, you know I mean I can't think of one person I work with that's not upbeat positive always working towards getting better nobody's okay with being stagnant and everybody's trying their best to make everything around them and themselves um, improve every day. So it's, uh, it's a great experience. I love it. Love the people I work with, love what I'm doing. Yeah, it's cool. I think, um, you know, as a coach, I often struggle with dealing with people who aren't necessarily trying to improve. And, um, now that I find myself back as a student, again, back in the higher ed arena, and as going through my graduate program, I am, um, struggling with that balance myself where I want to improve, but I don't feel like my program is, is at least currently has given me the ability to do that. So I think working with people who, who do want to improve themselves and learn is a, is a really, really powerful thing. I think it's, it's a, it's a great position to find yourself in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I love it. And I'm, I'm a student. I've, uh, I finished my ed specialist. So I'm about to, uh, about to start my doctorate. Um, in the fall, hopefully. So I'm excited about finishing that up. And um, so, what do you, what classes are you taking? You mind me asking? Is that okay? No, sure, absolutely. I'm um, I'm in my Ed Leadership Master's program right now. Nice. Um, and I'm like between terms, and I don't know. I start back actually uh, from the time we're recording this. I start back tomorrow. Um, probably from the time it releases, I'll have started back yesterday. But um, nice because you know podcasting time shifts a lot. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah, so I'm I'm back in uh, now in my second term as a Ed Leadership Master's program. So it's um it has already been an interesting journey through the first uh, ten week term or whatever it was that I was in. So uh, it's been a it's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah, it has. <laughs> it's that's awesome. That's an awesome track to be on. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, it'll be awesome in the, as we get back uh, next week. So <laughs> yeah. or this week. So. Uh, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, so you also mentioned that you do uh, some YouTube stuff. And uh, I know you have a podcast on um, all under your, uh, your, your Tra Tarver Academy. So what is uh, what is that about to you? Oh, it's just, um, it's something I've always uh, enjoyed doing. It's an outlet that um, I get to express stuff I'm passionate about, you know, things that I want to do, um, build up, uh, try to build a community there as well of people who want to, you know, have a conversation about different stuff. So I've been on YouTube since 2007 and I think I started putting educational videos on there 2008 or nine. 
I started putting up some of my math videos and it was really just because like it was easier for me to teach because I could like if a student was absent or if I needed to like, you know, give it to some of the class to work on while I worked on something else. It was just kind of like an easy tool. I was like, oh, this is convenient. I'll just upload all these here. Um, and so I had like a what I called a regular channel where I tried to be funny. And then I had another channel where I was just kind of sticking my education videos. And over the past several years, people have uh, some students have enjoyed, you know, some of my education videos and teachers have used them in their classes and they've assisted some people. And so it's actually surpassed my main channel now uh, and subscribers. And so it's um, I love it. I'm just now getting back into it. It's kind of been like a um, use it when you need it kind of kind of YouTube channel. So it grows the subscribers, but my my views aren't um, like if I post a video, it doesn't get a lot of views up front. And it's like, I'll look up and I'll post 10 videos in a row. And then I might, you know, look back at it two years later. One video might have 100 views. One might have 82 views. Another one might have 8,000. Another one have 20,000. They're all, you know, within the same week. It's just, you know, people searching to learn something and it connects with them on a certain video. So I'm just right now throwing out some new series and stuff I'm excited about doing and a creative outlet. I get to, uh, I get to kind of do whatever I want on. And so, and the podcast is, um, right now I'm in, about to start season three. I've been putting up some, this is kind of like a monologue stuff. Like I'm accidentally doing now. I'm talking way too much. Sorry about that. Uh, and then, uh, and then I've recorded four different interviews with people and I'm, uh, I'm in the process of cutting that down and putting it into like a, a podcast slash, uh, YouTube show. So it's called education Academy. If y'all want to check it out, holler at your boy. <laughs> Yeah, I um I love that your your process is more driven in in your own passion than an attempt to sort of gain notoriety and fame. You know, it's um when I started this podcast, I used to be obsessed with the analytics. Not that I not that I started this with any intention of of fame or notoriety. I started it cuz I really wanted to and I felt like there was a need for what I wanted to talk about, but you know, I'm just a person who is data driven. That's part of the reason I, I love education. And, and one of the things I do in within education is look at the data of what is working and what isn't. So I, I looked at the data for a long time. And eventually I realized that those analytics, checking them daily, first of all, doesn't make them move any faster or slower. Um, but also it doesn't drive you know, it doesn't necessarily benefit. You don't get the same feedback from analytic data as you do formative assessment data in a classroom. And so uh, I love that that is, is not the focus for you. The focus is, you know, going out and doing the thing you're passionate about. And if people watch it, so be it. And occasionally you'll think to check the numbers and be surprised by them, whichever direction they move. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, you know, just, I, you know, when I first started doing it, that was a big driver. I was like, oh, am I getting the views? Ah, oh, I get either discouraged or I'd you know, I'd be like, um, oh, I need to change that. I'm not making that again, even if I liked it. But now it's like I'm at the point where it's, it's, uh, it's just make what you like, and if people people connect with it, great. If not, there's a lot of content they can find on the internet. So, I'm not trying to get everybody. I'm just yeah. trying to get the people that um, want to hear what I have to say. Hmm. What do you prefer, YouTube or podcasting? Um, uh, probably probably YouTube, uh, just because you have the the visual option. You know, I, what do I listen to or what do I consume more podcasts hands down? Um, because I drive a lot. Uh, but I love, I love with YouTube. It's like, I can, I can hear it, but then if I'm like, you know what, I want to see what's going on. I can watch it. It's just, it's similar. Um, I organize them the same way. Uh, when I listen, you know, when I watch YouTube, I'm more listening to it. I'll put on something and, and listen to it as a podcast. So 
uh, I say as far as a like a creator, I like YouTube just because you know I've gotten to play in the the video realm longer uh, than just the audio realm, and so I've uh, I've really enjoyed you know what you can add in as elements. So uh, I've I've been playing around with throwing in like uh, like little cl- quick clips. So like uh, you you know talking, you make a reference to uh, you know I don't know like oh there's a tree, and then you put in a vine where they're like oh look it's Chris Pine, you know like. I like to clip in funny clips from the internet or movie quotes. And that's just been something I've enjoyed playing around with. Hmm. Okay. I like it. It's a good answer. Thanks. Yeah. I definitely find myself consuming and well, I do both. I consume and create way more podcasts because that's sort of where my passion lies. And I am sort of known as the guy that listens to way too many podcasts at work. So it's okay. It's awesome. It all works out well. You're the, re- you're the, uh, Hey, I need a recommendation guy and you probably can nail yeah. it. So. Or, or every conversation I find myself in, I'm like, well, I was listening to a podcast and they said, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's, and now it's to the point where I go, I was listening to a podcast. I know, let it go. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast and they said, and so it's awesome. I have to preface every time. So, but it's okay. I allow it. It's all right. It's good. I like it. Um, cool. Well, I think that's a, I think that's a solid instruction. I'm at, I, I think it's cool that you're, you're out there creating your own thing. You're, you're doing what you're passionate about. You're. You're a dean of a college, which is pretty awesome. That's pretty neat. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited to get to, and I don't know if you know this, but I ask all my guests the same three questions and I'm excited to get to my usual questions for you. So I'll be excited to see what you have to say for me. Me too. And I have no idea what they are. So I did. That's how I prefer it. I usually prefer my guests don't know the questions. It works out well. So my first question for all my guests, what is the biggest problem facing education today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it is that we are uniformity uh, with regards to what we're delivering. Um, you know, we as people, uh, we're all very different and not only in like what we enjoy, what we like, what we prefer to spend our time on, but in how we learn. I think uh, it took me a long time to realize that, you know, the way that I learned and retained stuff was not the exact same as everyone else should do it. You know, I always assumed, oh, you're supposed to wait and let someone talk to you for 45 minutes. You're supposed to consume all that and remember it, take notes while you're doing it. I was like, you know, cause that's how my classes were taught to me. And so, and that's how I, I did fairly well. And then I realized like, oh, some people enjoy, you know, uh, you know, creating a discussion on it or creating a project or uh, building something out of using their hands, um, reading it themselves. Like it's just, it's amazing to me how different people learn. And I think that a lot of times with education, we, we tend to just kind of throw a blanket over it and be like, all right, this is, this is the only thing we can do uh, just because of our resources. Cause I mean, it's, I mean, it's right. Like, you know, standing in the classroom in front of 30 kids, I knew there were going to be like, as I was teaching, I was like, okay, so there's going to be about 10 to 12 that are like, on point with what I'm saying, they're tracking with me. There's going to be about five that are bored because they can do this already before they walked in the door. And then there's, you know, anywhere from 10 to 11 that aren't caught up for some reason or another. They missed something, they fell behind, they missed a day, or, you know, they're just not as quick learning the way I teach it. And so I think the the thing right now that we need to do is is try to get our our teachers to get in a mode where they're able to differentiate for every student and not in a way that just destroys their time because we all know as teachers, it's fun to say, yeah, I differentiate, but then you think, okay, first off, how am I going to, you know, 
analyze where everybody is and then assess based on that. And then how do I grade that if one student gets a different assignment than another? How do I how do I make that fair and equitable whenever it's grade time? And so it's I think right now we are seeing an exciting time with regards to how information is delivered via the Internet and how we communicate, how we show that we've retained knowledge. And I think that we as educators, uh, we, we have responsibility to learn how to adjust to this and prepare these students for not just memorizing the things that we've always told them to memorize that now they can look up on their phone in five seconds, but to be able to differentiate between knowledge that's valid versus what is, you know, not um, because the internet has a lot of information, some correct, some not correct. And how do they formulate their own opinion on it and build from there? I just, uh, I think in education, that was a very broad answer. If I could break it down to one sentence, I would say um, personalizing it for every student and making it applicable for the jobs they'll have in the future. Is that a 10 minute answer for a $1? <laughs> no, I, um, I think, you know, you hit on a couple things. And one of the things you hit on is you hit on this sort of these conflicting interests or these conflicting issues of we all recognize that the blanket attempts to teach the middle are not effective, but they are the most of us feel, or a lot of people feel, I shouldn't say us, but a lot of people feel that those blanket attempts are the best you can do and not destroy your personal life and also still have a family and get home and see your kids and read story time and stuff like that. So how do you, or how do you suggest people balance those things? Oh man. Um, this is, I've learned from a lot of poor time management. I think time management is going to be, is a key factor. Like how do you break up your day? Like what parts are you working? What parts are you able to disconnect from that? so that you can focus on, you know, family or, um, you know, whatever hobby you need or escape, you know, escape out what you need to remain sane. And then what do you do with your next block of time? So the way I do it is I, I block my day into three chunks. So I've got my work portion of the day, you know, which is your, you know, average 7.30 to 4, 5, whatever. And then, you know, I've got my family time, which is the next three, three and a half hours. And then after that, it's eight to nine o'clock. I've got another you know, three to four hours, I can work on my YouTube channel or a podcast or writing or whatever it is that I'm interested in. So it's just trying to be a good manager of my time. And, you know, I think a curveball gets thrown into that about once out of every three days, but, you know, two out of three, I can kind of manage it a little better. Yeah, I think those those distinct blocks of time have have a lot of value. You know, I think recognizing that Okay, this time is, and I and I think for me the critical one, and I think for everybody is is that personal time, and whether it is family or kids or just playing a video game and de-stressing and making yourself dinner or whatever that may be, whatever that moment is, I think that's the one that's critical, and also the one that's easy to to sacrifice, right? It's the it's the one block of that time that's easy to say, all right, I can let that one go so I can be more productive in my work or my hobby time. And, um, you know, that I think it's, uh, it's really important that we don't sacrifice that time. I agree. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah, I think that's good. I like that. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the power of the internet and delivery through the internet. Um, 
being this new and I, th- I think you said exciting uh, or possibly a potential in there. Uh, what about the the power of internet delivery excites you? And, I, and I'm mostly interested in that secondary mind or that, uh, that, that higher level mindset, that college mindset. How does that excite you in terms of content delivery for kids? Oh man, um, you can learn anything. Like think of the last time you were doing something around the house and you were like, oh, I don't know how to change the oil in my lawnmower. Like what's the first thing you did? You Googled it and you either read it and looked at pictures or you watched a video. And that's, that's how we can, you can literally learn any, almost anything in the world and where that used to be restricted to the people that, you know, you know, I guess for K-12, it was you know restricted to people that went to school, but then for higher ed, that anything learning in there um, or a trade, you had to go to school, you had to pay for it. You had to, you know, move somewhere. And a lot of people didn't have that opportunity, whether it's financial or family or, you know, location, but now it's like, you can you know, if I want to be experienced in marketing, I could listen to 10 different podcasts and hone in my skills and develop that skill set. Like I said, I was a history and political science teacher. And now I feel like my biggest value, you know, I have a degree in that. My biggest value, though, in a room, I think, is whenever we're talking about, you know, social media, uh, marketing attention uh, or, you know, focusing on education and different aspects of that. So it's like what you get your degree in might not always translate into what you end up doing for seasons of your life. But I think learning is learning and the internet just opens that world up and it changes education because a lot of teachers are scared. They're like, okay, well, if a student can go on and watch a video that teaches them what I'm trying to teach them in class for 45 minutes, well, then what do they need me? And I'm like, if, and I tell teachers this all the time when I talk to them, I'm like, if a student can do that, then they don't need you. But I feel like teachers are far more important than a deliverer of information. Like if all our job was is to stand in front of them and spout out stuff and they get it or they don't, then I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that's good education. I think that we need to, uh, we need to figure out how they learn and just guide that social process of learning. Hmm. That last line there just, just grabbed me there. That social process of learning. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I stole um, it from somebody, but I don't remember where. So yeah, it's plagiarism's okay, right? When you're an adult, yeah, it's just totally. not okay when you're a student. Okay. So. Yeah, no, it's totally fine as an adult. We just tell kids it's not allowed. Um, exactly. I, wow. So you, I was going to go in a different direction, but now you said that, that social process of learning, because I, I, it clicks with me because this week I've been in uh, a lot of teachers classrooms doing sort of coaching feedback and giving them feedback on their classrooms. And Without fail, every room I've been in, if it is silent in that classroom or there's only one person and that's the teacher talking, I can't definitively say that learning was happening in that room. And every time I've walked into a room where kids are talking and there's noise and people are chatting and and discussing, I can definitively say learning is happening in that room. And so when you think about that social process of learning in so many ways, it goes so completely against what I saw as a student. You know, I, I was never a good student. It was because you expected me to sit down in a room and listen to one person talk to me. And I was bored within five minutes and busy writing notes and goofing off. And the only time I paid attention is when the teacher made a mistake. And, you know, now what I look for in a teacher is the polar opposite of what I saw as a student. And, uh, and it comes down to that social process of learning, right? I mean, they think that's a, a great way to put it. Yeah. 
I completely agree. Hmm. Cool. You just like you grabbed me in with that last line. I like that. The social process of learning. That's that's excellent. Wow. Thanks. Again, cool. I, I I don't want to take credit, but I think I don't. I mean, I did regurgitate it, but I, I'm pretty sure I heard it yeah, somewhere. No. But I think it's a great. That it's a great. Fair. Yeah. Appreciate it. So, are you seeing this happen in? higher level education is that is this because i mean i again i think back to my own college time it wasn't like that either when i was in college and it has not particularly been like that in my own graduate studies so far and that's this year so are those changes starting to push their way forward because i feel like as a as a secondary teacher i don't feel i feel like i'm pushing for change at the secondary level and often the comeback from teachers is well that's not what they're going to get in college yeah, you're exactly right. I think college is, uh, honestly, higher ed is behind K-12. You know, uh, I think that we, in K-12, I think the difference is with K-12, the students are required to be there. Like they have to go to school. Like it's state law. They have to get an education to a certain point. And so it's like, well, they have to be here. We want, like it's on, it's on us as teachers to make it engaging and make it something that they retain and they, you know, grow with. Whereas higher ed, it's like, well, they pay to be here. They can pay and, you know, learn or they can pay and fail. You know, it's, it's like they have to act, they have to adjust to us. Whereas in K-12, we adjust to the student. And so, and again, that's, that's not with every class and every teacher, but I think that overarching, that's what, that's, that's how they're evaluated. Like teachers and college are evaluated by, did the student like me? And that's like a end of the year survey, you know, and then what do my grades look like? But it's not like, oh, we really want these students to retain this for a standardized test or something like that. We, you know, we're based on the, the judgment of our, our peers in that, within that college, uh, as far as if we're, you know, teaching up to the correct level. So I, I think that higher ed is, is behind K-12 with regards to, you know, realizing this shift. And honestly, I think that, you know, in five, 10, 20, 30 years, I think that there's going to be a shift in higher ed and it's going to be with or without their, uh, their consent. Uh, you know, the, the cost of higher ed is, is a very hot topic and student debt is a very hot topic. And, you know, once these professors that are making fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year, realize that, hey, I'm one of the top people in my field. I articulate this information well. I'm a great teacher. Why don't I just record that, stick it on YouTube and short video clips, and I can make $100,000, $200,000 a year and affect even more students, like millions of students as opposed to hundreds. So it's like, I think we're going to see a shift. I think a lot of, I, I mean, I think a lot of education is going to move towards online and we as educators, especially in higher ed, are going to have to figure out, well, how do you place a value or, um, you know, how do you place a value on that? You know, if I'm a, because you can't just say like, it's, you know what it's like if you walk into a job interview and you're like, oh, I have a, you know, I have a master's degree in, you know, teaching versus, oh, I mean, I've got a bachelor's degree, but I have listened to a master's degree worth of videos on YouTube about being a good teacher. You might be just as good or better than the other person, but you don't have anything like verifying that. And so I think we're going to see a lot of uh, probably, I mean, this is just a guess, but I think we'll see like a, a lot more mastery stuff like CLEP tests. I think it'll be more that like I can go in and take a pretest for a college class and I might be able to opt out of four out of the five units and just go through one unit with the professors because I already have the knowledge 
of going through it. We've all sat in classes where we're like, I know exactly how to do all this. This is a waste of my time. And I think our time is uh, more and more valuable to us. And we see that with apps becoming popular because they give us convenience and save us time. So hmm. I think, I think the, the school that's going to be the top college in 15 years will be the one that has an app on our, whatever we use, cell phone or watch or glasses, an app that we click into, we listen and learn while we're doing something else. And then we can, you know, get degrees or certifications for it while we're doing other stuff. So. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I like that. I like that a lot. You know, it's that what I feel like what we're circling around in a lot of ways though, is, is really a bigger question that, that I've been struggling with. And my friend Derek Rodenizer has been asking a couple times now is, is what, what is learning, right? So, you know, you, you mentioned watching a YouTube video and I have a washing machine that's terrible. My washing machine is awful. It doesn't work right. It stops and cycles in the middle. It's a nightmare. And it's been an ongoing nightmare for about a year. Um, and unfortunately, it's a rental and it's not my washing machine, except that I rent the space in which the washing machine is contained. And so I cannot get rid of this washing machine and just buy a new one. Because honestly, I would do that at this point. Yeah. Um, and I say this all because I have looked up tutorials and tried to figure out ways to fix this myself because I can't rely on my rental company to actually fix anything. By the way, never rent a home from rent a Florida home, even though it's in their name, they're the worst. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. Little, little just destruction. Don't get rent a Florida home. Anyways, not a sponsored um, post. I like it. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. I wouldn't take their money if, if my, I, I did anyways. Um, so, but I've, I've had to watch the same YouTube clips over and over and over again, because I keep forgetting how to get it into diagnostic mode and which function in diagnostic mode to run to get my washing machine to actually finish cycles. And even though I have to do this probably every other week to try to get clean clothes, I, I still forget. So have I truly learned how to diagnose or fix my washing machine, even if temporarily, or am I just going back to this, uh, this reservoir of stored knowledge that is my extended brain of my phone? And whichever one of those you choose to be the correct answer, is there a positive or negative choice in those two definitions? And, and, and then ultimately, what does that mean for our definition of learning as humankind? And I think that higher ed and public ed in, in alike are struggling with a new definition of learning or needing a new definition of learning or fighting against a new definition of learning. And I think a lot of our problems center around that same kind of idea. And I think a lot of what you're saying here is that same thing is, is we're expecting students to learn in a lot of cases the way we did. And I had math teachers that told me I wasn't going to walk around all day with a calculator in my pocket. <laughs> and they were wrong. Jokes on them. Yeah. You don't have to type it in. You can literally just ask the math question to your phone and it'll tell you. So. Why do I have to ask it? I'll take a picture of the math question and the, the solve your math app will solve it for me. There you go. That's math right there. It's magic. And it then, is. but is that bad? Is like genuinely. So I see students doing this in my classroom to make, to do their math work. Like I'm not a math teacher, so it doesn't really bother me much, but I like they're doing their homework and they're doing exactly that. They're taking a picture of the math work and then the app is solving it for them. Well, are they just effectively using their resources and now know a way to do that in the future? Or are they never learning math? 
Like, what does that mean to us? That's a, that's a great question. And it's, I think it, it's, you know, because our teachers in high school, you said it earlier, they're like, oh, well, this is not how it's going to be in college. Okay, cool. How long are people in college? Four years, give or take a couple of years. And then, you know, after that, how many years are they in the workforce? 30, 40, 50 years. And, and we're preparing them for a four years right after that. I think that we, we might do good to sit and ponder if I should, you know, maybe I should train them for actually working in the workforce, like make that the, uh, the, the skeleton of how we teach classes. Because I, I was talking, I talk to people all the time. It's like, okay, how do we evaluate that people know something or that they have, they've achieved what we want in this class? We tell them, sit down for 40 minutes and take this test by yourself with no resources. And in 40 minutes, we'll know if you, um, you know, have achieved what this class is supposed to teach you. And I sit there and think, when in my professional career have I ever had to do that with regards to like my job? Like my boss has never walked into my office and gone, hey, Tyler, okay, so uh, we need to get the support into the Department of Ed. And so I'm going to need you to sit there. You can't use the internet. You can't use any books or resources. You can't, you know, call anybody to get help. You're going to need to get that done in 40 minutes. And then we'll see if you are a good employee or not. Like, that's not how you do it. Like you call, you collaborate, you research, you use the tools at your disposal. And so I think like whenever we evaluate students or add, you know, assign a value to a course, like what's, what's the context for that in the greater scheme of things? Hmm. Yeah. But what do I know? I'm just, I'm just a math teacher. So <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Math's the worst. So that really makes sense. Yeah, um, oh, that's what my students always said. So yes. Yeah, it's the worst. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of math hate on my show. Welcome. Um, it's okay. No, it's cool. I mean, I was history major. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. There There is a, a lack. And you're right to say we are so determined to prepare them in middle school for high school and in high school for college. And we want to say college and career ready, but really, are we really focusing on career or at least are we prioritizing career? Uh, when you look at the balance of years, you're hundred percent right. That's not, it doesn't make sense. The work we're doing. And I don't, I don't think many colleges would make an argument that they're preparing people for the workforce. They may say that they're, you know, preparing them for the knowledge they would need in the workforce. But in terms of preparing them for the day-to-days of being in a job, you're better off watching the office. Yeah, that's true. Or just going to interning under somebody. Like, how did you, how did you learn the most about teaching? You started teaching. You know what I mean? Like, you, you learn a ton about prep, but you don't know until you get in there. Mm. And so it's, it's, I mean, you know, but you don't really know. It's like when people, like, you're about to have kids – and people are like, oh, yeah, you don't even know. Yeah, your world's about to change. And you get sick of hearing that. You're like, stop telling me my world's going to change. But then you have kids and you're like, oh, wow, this is a different world. You know, my it's world like, just changed. That's weird. Why my world just changed. <laughs> it's still annoying, but it's uh, it's true. It doesn't make it less true. Hmm. I like it. I'm, I'm satisfied. I, I that was uh, I think we went in a lot of different directions, but it's a it's a good view. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I've been known to uh, chase rabbits, if you will. Yeah, so I apologize good. for that. Don't I, I appreciate it? I think it was great. Let's, but let's move into my next question because uh, I, I'm curious to sort of bring this back to the concrete a little bit more. And my second question for all my guests is: What is something you're doing that you wish all educators would do? 
record what they're doing. <laughs> I think I think we 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 put this finite number on how many people we can impact. And I think we should impact the people in front of us. I think a teacher should impact, you know, 90 to 150 students a year in front of them. But how much extra work is it to film that, put it out there, might impact one other person, might impact 10 million other people. You never know what you're going to say and who it's going to resonate with. And I think that we live in an age where information is available. So I think every teacher should should record what they do and put it out there. But I think that we are, you know, it's a, there are a ton of factors of why they don't, you know, insecurities or, you know, I, I get made fun of on YouTube all the time, all the time, which at this point, after 10 years of it, like, I don't care. I could literally have anybody in the room say whatever they want. And I'd be like, I heard it like 10 minutes ago on a YouTube comment. So it's fine. Like I understand <laughs> my accent. I understand the way I look. It's, it's fine. So uh, it's, I think that every educator should um, should value what they're saying more and put it out there for more people to be able to maybe resonate with it. I like that. I like that you closed with the value because that was going to be my follow up. I think that, or let me go back a step. What do you say to those educators who say, "But I'm just a teacher. I'm just teaching. I'm just doing this thing that I think everyone else is doing. Why would I share that?" Oh, um, I would say, well, do you, do you have any students that have said to you that you're their favorite teacher? Okay. Well, think of if you have one kid out of a hundred that resonate, like that says, wow, I love the way you teach, or I love, you know, the way you deliver it, or I'm just, I just connect with you, your personality. Like that's one out of a hundred that you were, they were just assigned to you. If you put that out there, or if you, you know, put that out of the world, if, you know, out of 10 million people, what is that? Was that thousand, no, a hundred thousand people that you would connect with? I mean, you're the um, math teacher. I'll just, and, and it's, it's been a while <laughs> since I've done some math. So I hope that's right. That feels right. So let's say, I mean, if there's 10 million students at any given time, you know, learning something, that means you've connected with a hundred thousand kids. Like those kids found you and then you're their favorite teacher and they would have never gotten to hear about you. And so I think, you know, I think we undervalue ourselves as teachers. And I think everybody connects with somebody. I think everybody has a community that they identify with. Um, and so I'd say don't limit, you know, who's allowed to, you know, benefit from your talents or your skills or your personality. Hmm. Yeah. So much of, um, of school scheduling is just dumb luck, right? I, yeah. I mean, you kind of, you kind of touched on that. It's like, you're just, happen to have the one out of however many at your school. But it, I mean, most of these are computer driven systems that are almost entirely based on randomness intentionally. So, so that it's fair to everybody, but they're just randomly assigned to classes. Students, I should say students are just randomly assigned to classes based on requests and who's available. And half the times that changes before the year is out. And you're right. I, I I'm with you that I think, almost all teachers have something to share. You know, it, they have something to share. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've heard people say no one gets into this job for the money. No one gets into this job for summers off. That's what they tell us. And that's what people believe. But we all know that's not why we do this. You know, I, I even the the worst teacher I've met, and I, and I say that phrase with, you know, air quotes, worst teacher, um, you know, they're still not in it for the money. They could definitely be in it because they think it's easy and then they're quickly realizing they're mistaken. 
but I, you know, it's not, they're not there because they don't care about students. You don't come do this job because you don't care about students. Um, And so I think every teacher has something to share. And so it's getting those teachers over that hump of fear that I will never do this. I'm not worthy of doing this. This is why they only pay me $7 a year or whatever it is we make in salaries. And, you know, it's, I think it's hard to get people over that hump. I would completely agree. I would completely agree. And I think that the biggest, one of the biggest players in that is, is your, your leadership at the school. How are they showing these teachers that they feel appreciated? How are they showing them that they're valued? Uh, You know, it's just, I think, I think that we, you know, as administrators, we can, we can, we can add a lot to somebody to learn, you know, how does this person feel appreciated? Is it affirmation? Is it just spending time around them? Is it, you know, getting them a small gift that they know they like, buying them a Sonic drink? Like, what is that person? Like, just like teachers need to learn students, administrators need to learn teachers. You know, if you could just say, if you sent an email and said, hey, you know, you're doing an amazing job and you sent that out to a hundred of your teachers. Okay. 30 of them might value that, you know, the other 70 might write it off or it might not matter. It doesn't kick with them, but you throw, you know, 40 of them, a Sonic drink and they like, wow, they spent money on me. That means they really care. Like you've got to learn your, your people. And I think that, that the leader of your school, uh, whether it's building or district level should try to focus on that. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's uh, good. Definitely a, um, a regular passion of mine is is that staff morale component. So I can support that. And I never really made the connection of, of that staff morale leading to being more open to a sharing outside of the school space. And I think that's, I think that's yeah. true, though, because once you're more confident and comfortable in what you're doing every day, that confidence comes with comfort, you know, it comes with that comfort. And so I think that's good. I, I, you know what? I like that. I like that reply. Excellent answer. Well done. Thanks, man. All right. B plus. I'll take it. Uh, Thank you. No, it's good. I like it. I would even go to an A minus. I'll allow it. I'll allow that A minus, that extra rounding up. I mostly just round in my classroom, but it's fine. We'll go with it. I love it. Uh, No, I like uh, rounding. I'm going to put that on my fridge for sure. (laughs) I love it. Um, all right, we're going to go to one last one. We're, we're rocking and rolling. We're almost 45 minutes in. We're going to go to this last question and uh, see where it takes us. I love so it. my last question for all my guests is, who is the best teacher you have ever had? Oh, wow. In the classroom or out? It's, you take that question how you choose. Oh, goodness. Um, man, that's a big question. That's a good question. I kind of wish I would have peeked and saw this question beforehand. Um, Best teacher I've ever had. um, I guess if I'm going to have to pick one, I say my dad. And it's funny because he's the only person in my direct family that never became an educator. Um, And it's more just from watching and like, you know, him just instilling patterns of how to respond to things, how to, you know, have empathy for things, how to, or people, not things, but have empathy for people and try to see people's points of views and think of it from all sides and read a room and analyze, you know, the people person, the the people aspect, um, you know, and then just working hard. I think just seeing how he's lived his life um, and observing that, like not him saying, okay, sit down. I'm going to tell you for an hour tonight, this is how you, you know, work in the workplace. This is how you treat your employees. Like I didn't have to do that. I got to work with them in the summers and I get to see it. I got to see how he handled, you know, 
conflict. I got to see how he handled tough situations, um, you know, within his daily life and his actions. So I'd say if I'm picking one, it's that guy. It's my dad. Um, if, you know, I'm picking somebody in the classroom, Dr. Dykema in college, I loved his classes. That he was an incredible teacher. He was great at storytelling, but also gave you details to where you, you know, learn the specific stuff without memorization. If I'm talking about daily life, I learn from the people I work with every day. I've got some incredible leaders that I'm learning how to be a good leader from getting to be around them. And then, you know, there's a couple podcasts that I love um, that, uh, you know, YouTubers that are you know, a combination of living their life and talking about it versus also just giving you stats. And I'm learning a ton from them. So, I mean, there's just so many people in my life that are incredible teachers. And it's not like they're standing in the classroom telling me it's that they're living it. And I'm as a student observing it and learning from their actions, good or bad. And uh, I think that's, you know, I always tell students they're like, Oh, that's a terrible class. I'm not going to learn anything. I'm like, you're going to learn exactly what you want to in it. I was like, you have every, you have the book, you have a teacher, you have a resource to ask questions. You have classmates, you have the internet, you can learn anything you want about that subject. It all depends on what you're going to get out of it. And that's what I try to do whenever I live my life is I try to learn from everybody around me, good or bad. Um, and I'm definitely picking number one. My dad gets a gold medal. Long answer. Could have just said my dad and <laughs> shut up. But instead, I rambled for like four minutes. So I apologize. That wouldn't make a very good podcast, though. If you just said my dad. <laughs> no, he stopped. Like, thanks for coming. And a half of silence. I'd have been like, all right, well, thanks. I appreciate that. That was great. This blind dating thing not working out so great. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, using people that I I find on Twitter and know who they are. That's good. <laughs> no, but I I think that's good. I you know what I took from that in a lot of ways is is the power of people who I don't want to say don't intend to be teachers because I think as parents we certainly intend to teach our children things, um, but more that the stand and deliver method of instruction is not often how we learn. Um, I, you know, and, and I, and again, I, I put it back to my own experience in school. I, I often felt like I learned the material from teachers despite the teacher, you know, yep. it, it, it wasn't because of them that I learned it. It was because my parents were going to be pissed if I didn't get A's. And so I figured out a way to learn it regardless and I read the book or I half paid attention and whatever. And, you know, I think that the power there is that it is not the stand and deliver. It is not to be talked to that matters. It's the, the modeling and the examples and the, and the, and the living the truth that you think is most important. It's the, it's the passion for that content that, that bleeds into our real lives, not someone lecturing and reading off PowerPoints. Yeah, I agree, man. Spot on. Yeah. I think that's a that's a solid place to close it out, man. We're we're coming up on fifty minutes. We're we're rounding out the hour here. And uh I think that's a solid place to wrap it up, man. Hey, I really appreciate your time. You know, as my as my first blind date, I think it was uh, I think it was good. You know, Thanks. I we should maybe do a second date on your show. Why not? I would, like, I would love that. Let's go. Let's get on there and let's <laughs> learn some stuff on there. And I, I get to get to have you answer and talk about it because I mean, I bet uh, people are yeah. sick of hearing me talk. I need to hear you talk. I'm uh, I'm much worse as a guest than a host because as a host, I don't talk much. So it works out really well as a host. It's part of why I started this show. But I, uh, I'll i give it a shot. No, I'm down. I'm, 
let's definitely do it. I, I, you know, I really appreciate your time, Tyler. I really do. Thank you so much for replying to a tweet and jumping on a sliding onto my DMs, as it were, and uh, and uh, chatting with me. I, I really appreciate it, man. How can my audience get a hold of you if they have would like to reach out? Oh my goodness! Uh, well, I'd love that. I'd love to connect with anybody. And my name is Tyler Tarver, T-A-R-V-E-R-V is in vampire. And so if you search my name on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, um, what's the other one? Instagram, I'm probably that top choice. Uh, I've, YouTube is, is the one I'm tossing the most content on, YouTube and Instagram, tossing the most content on there, building podcasts about to start season three. So I've got a lot of stuff they can listen to or watch if they liked anything I said. Perfect. I appreciate it. Well, again, man, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, um, uh, you know, uh, hopefully my audience will take a listen to your podcast and check that out and uh, check out the Tarver Academy and see what you're doing over there. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Tyler, thank you so much for joining me on the show. And for my first podcasting blind date, it really was a ton of fun to chat. To connect with Tyler, find him on Twitter, at Tyler Tarver, or on his YouTube channel, Sir Tyler Tarver. And links to both of those are in the show notes. If you have comments or questions about the show, you can always connect with me on Twitter. I'm at Brad Shreffler and Instagram as well. I love to hear from you guys there. That's also a great place to connect if you'd like to be a guest on the show like Tyler. Or check out the feedback page on my website, which gives you options for feedback as well. And you can find that at bradshreffler.com slash feedback. Until next week, model the social process of learning. Music for the Planning Period podcast is a song Vicious by Kevin McLeod, used under Creative Commons. You can find him at incompetech.com. The Planning Period podcast is also a proud member of the Voice Ed Radio Network, a 24-hour radio network all about education all the time. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here.